Welcome to the virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. Today's episode features dairy educator Marianne Morosky and veterinarian Dr. Madonna Benjamin. Preventing and mitigating suffering of sick or injured farm animals sometimes makes on-farm euthanasia necessary. These two experts will discuss the proper use of firearms to put down animals safely and humanely. Please listen at your own discretion. We realize that this topic may be upsetting or triggering for some. If you fall on that category, we invite you to skip this episode and join us next time. Great information ahead. So Marianne, let's get started. Welcome to the MSU Extension Dairy Team Virtual Coffee Break. My name is Marianne Morosky and I am the Dairy Educator in the Thumb. And with me today, our guest is Dr. Uh, Madonna Benjamin, and we're going to be talking about on-farm euthanasia today. Madonna, can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background and your role in ex Extension? Thank you, Marianne. I appreciate your invitation to this podcast. I am a veterinarian, and I currently I am an associate professor in the College of Large Animal Clinical Sciences. I am also a swine extension veterinarian, so a specialist, and I'm based on MSU campus. Prior to joining MSU in 2012, I, I had my own practice in Alberta, Canada, and worked with large, large farms and large systems. My area of expertise, my master's, and I've also, I'm recently a diplomate in the College of Animal Welfare. And uh, so welfare has been a big part of my practice and my, my values and, and my goals. And an important part of animal welfare is timely euthanasia. One is recognizing when an animal should be euthanized because it's compromised or severely ill. And then the second is the actual euthanasia practice. And I became interested in euthanasia within Michigan partly because I would attend a farm and, you know, we would talk about animals that were severely compromised. We would talk about the euthanasia process. And what I saw on some of the farms were that someone was allocated to conduct the euthanasia using a firearm. The way that the animals were restrained, or I'll say not restrained, required a second person to hold the animals. And that would make me very nervous. Um, and then you add to it that it was, uh, oftentimes it was conducted in a barn with cement flooring. So the firearms were not safe necessarily. Oftentimes the ammunition had too much energy and might go right through the skull and result in harm through ricochet. So I became very, very interested in firearms and so instead of just humane euthanasia, I was interested in humans during the euthanasia process, especially when uh, firearms are being used. And on farms, especially in cattle, the firearms are the most common method, uh, still the most common method of, uh, for euthanasia. They, on swine farms, captive bolts are becoming more and more common and there's a number of reasons for that. You know, they're larger systems, fairly high number of animals, not high number of animals, but enough 
number of animals that are euthanized and that it that the cost of the captive bolt is you know it's amortized over time and the caps are so inexpensive that it's it's actually less expensive to have a captive bolt but um we're going to talk about firearms so i think that's a I think that's a great opportunity, especially with your dairy farmers. I am a national farm program certified, so I'm I can be an evaluator for uh, that animal welfare program. And part of what when I do an evaluation on a farm, we talk about the euthanasia process on each individual farm. And I, I talk to the farmer about when do they know it's time for euthanasia and what does that process look like? And a lot of times um, part of the evaluation is what uh, method are you using? And almost everyone answers they're using a firearm. And then my next question is what kind? You know, I want to, <laughs> because actually working with you, Madonna, I've learned so much more about firearm use in euthanasia, because I, I want to, as an evaluator, I want to make sure that um, they are doing this humanely and safely and using a powerful enough firearm to actually complete the euthanasia successfully. Can you tell us um, on Michigan Dairy Farms, what is the most common firearm used in euthanasia? That's a good question, Marianne. I think that on many dairy farms that one, that firearms are being used um, for the form of euthanasia. And, but the type of firearm I think is probably secondary, that it's not a primary piece of farm equipment. And if the farmer is a deer hunter, perhaps they're more likely to have a rifle. If they, um, if they, if they don't like to use rifles, shotguns are fairly inexpensive and they, they might be using a, um, a shotgun. I don't think that there are many handguns used on dairy farms for euthanasia, but you could you could tell me best. Um, actually, you know, from my experience as a, a farm, a national farm program evaluator, um, when I sit down and have that conversation about euthanasia, I do get some handguns. I think that the answer I get most is a 22 rifle. Um, and I think that's because deer hunting is so popular here in Michigan. So that's why we see so many rifles. I do want to ask, can you go ahead and um, talk to us maybe a little uh, about the differences in where you would uh, euthanize a a cow or a calf versus say a deer um, when you're hunting? I think you aim for different places. Yes. So for our livestock, when we want to humanely euthanize and firearms are able to euthanize animals because they cause mass destruction of the brain. That's typically what we're focusing on. And so what's really essential is that we have a firearm and ballistic or ammunition that is powerful, but not overpowerful. And within the farm, we tend to be much closer to livestock than hunters would be for deer. So many of the hunters would use higher energy ballistics or rifles that have long range um, so that they can have a, a side shot of the deer and ammunition that would disrupt the tissue. And it may even pass right through. That wouldn't be as much of a consideration out in, in the woods as it would be on the farm because we have, we have people who are bystanders, bystanders, 
on the farm or working around in other areas. And, and we want to make sure that or that they're not hit by any of the fragments of the bullets or bullets that penetrate directly through the skull or the body. Ideally, what we want is if, we're, if they're using shotguns, what we want is a shotgun that's a, a 12, 16, or 20 gauge. And we want them to use the ammunition that is either a slug or a, a four or six, four, five, or six birdshot. And, and the reason why that's valuable is that there's, an, there's enough energy that it would be acceptable to euthanize even a mature animal. Uh, the birdshot would have dispersion, so it would bust up the, the skull. And also, um, that, so those fragments would cause disruption of the brain tissue. And then, and yet we're not causing overpenetration. We're not, we're not uh, worried about human safety. The um, uh, slugs are great, especially slugs that are made for shotguns and uh, because they're solid mass. And although they don't disperse, they do enough disruption of the skull and the brain tissue. Rifles such as 22 Magnums or really high powered, they are the 243, the 0.243s or the 0.27s. They are appropriate for heifers, cows, and bulls. They would be too much for the calf and would probably overpenetrate. A rifle such as a 22, you mentioned the most common rifle is a 22, and which would be fine on a calf, less than you know 300 pounds, but it's not appropriate for adult cattle. So I just want to take a step back. If we think about, if we, if we draw parallels to what we watch on TV uh, with those programs, you know, CSI or whatever, um, the, the skull of a human is much thinner than the skull of livestock. Another important factor is, is that the, the amount of brain tissue in a livestock, so think about the large head of cow or other livestock, the amount of brain tissue is about the size of your fist. So think about hitting that brain area because that's our goal. Humane euthanasia of livestock is disruption of the brain. And we wanna do it in one step. That's another aspect. So one step euthanasia um, is disruption of the brain. And we want the disruption and the target to be identified. And, and we want the tissue disruption in that very small area. As I mentioned, our goal is to have the right firearm and ballistic, but there are three factors in making this brain damage or assessing this brain damage. The first is the firearm itself. There's the rifles, the shotguns, and then there's the handguns. The rifles are, are more likely to be used, let's say you have a bull in the field and you don't want to get in with the bull. I've seen where the butchers that are part of the mobile slaughter unit, they will use a rifle for a very large cow or a bull. And it's a single shot and they do a, a fabulous job with respect to the, the target. They tend to use the long rifle. The second is that the nature of the bullet. Once, when you purchase your bullets, if you, if you went onto the Cabela website, 
you would see that the uh, a solid point, point 0.22 long rifle can have different foot energies. And what we want is we want about a 300 foot per pound energy in cattle that are less than 400 pounds in weight and about a thousand foot pound energy for cattle that are more than 400 pounds. So that's a pretty good rule of thumb. But if we, if you go to the Cabela website, you would find that there's ammunition that is, you know, quite a bit of variation in the foot pound in the ammunition. So once you've taken the time, you, you know, based on the history of the farm, which, which size of animals that you're going to need and you go shopping for the right, great, right equipment. The third aspect, so I mentioned that there's three factors. The first is the firearm. The second is the nature of the bullet. The, not only do we wanna look at the energy of the bullet, but also the nature of the bullet as far as the tips of it and how it's going to enter. So I mentioned earlier that uh, birdshot, two, four, and six birdshot is, is good because used in a shotgun because it'll penetrate the tissue. I mentioned that a slug specifically designed for, for shotgun is good because it will penetrate that brain, that brain tissue as well. If you're using a rifle, we it's highly recommended that you use a solid point. That way you're getting disruption of the brain, but without being over penetration. The third aspect to these three factors is the accuracy of the, sh the shot. And I referred to that a little bit earlier you have a relatively small brain size in a large skull. So we have for you, we have an article for you that you can that you can look at and you can sort of get assessment of where the shot should be taken. It'll be different from calves than it will be because the because the location of the brain is different for a calf than it is for a mature dairy cow. And it's even different, more uh, different again for a mature beef cow compared to a dairy cow. So please take a look at that. Become a student of humane euthanasia and human safety um, while you're conducting that. Yeah, so that's a really great point. Um, we're gonna put some of those resources and show notes for you, but you know, they will, they all can be found on the MSU Extension website. The article that Madonna is referring to is called um, Planning Tool for Welfare Calling During Farm Disruption, Disrupted Operations. Um, it's something that we collaborated on with some of our other colleagues during uh, May of 2020. Um, that's got some really great pictures and um, a lot of this material can be found right there in that article. But it sounds like uh, it's it's really important to, like you said, educate yourself and, and go to training for euthanasia if you are going to, to be doing um, on-farm euthanasia with a firearm. Because it doesn't seem like it's like in the movies where they're always saying, oh, shoot between the eyes, you know, and, and they always uh, put the gun flush to the skull. And it seems like that those are not accurate. So we want to make sure that both the humans are safe and that the, the euthanasia is performed um, in one shot. I think I think that's a, a really good point. And one of the issues is ricochet. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about a little bit more about ricochet when we're talking about the some of the safety parameters. But uh, what I do want to point out is that when I attend farm meetings, and I I refer to the word ricochet, inevitably, 
someone will approach me and say, yeah, I know so-and-so experienced part of a bullet uh, in the leg. Or there, there might be someone else who mentions that there was part of a bullet farmed or uh, lodged into a piece of wood. So ricochet is happening on the farms. And uh, we want to avoid that as much as possible. Absolutely. Definitely want to focus on some human safety elements here, especially mm -hmm. when employees are so hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> well, in speaking of employees, you know, we ask our employees to care for, to be caretakers of our cattle. And from that comes a killing, caring paradox. And we've seen that, especially in in animal shelters, it's it's been a, a, a good focus where animals have been euthanized at very high numbers, especially in it initially. And um, it was very difficult for the staff to, to manage that. So be aware that uh, if once you have euthanized an animal, especially if you spend a lot of time with that animal, you thought that it might recover and you then you realize that it was not going to recover, you did the right thing by addressing a severely compromised animal and euthanizing in a timely manner, but you may need to talk to someone. And we always recommend that there's at least another person with you, standing behind you, but another person with you to, to make sure that you're safe and, um, and just to talk about it afterwards as, as well. And there's many reasons why people are comfortable or uncomfortable. Dr. Parody did some work and, and in her work, she found that it oftentimes it's cultural. If you're, if you were raised in a, in a pro-life setting, um, you taking the life of, of an animal may be very difficult for you. Yeah. So it's not for everyone. We've held trainings for people and there are people that we recommend that, that perhaps they're the observer rather than the person euthanizing, because it's it's just not in their heart to do that. It, it certainly is, is difficult when you have cared for an animal and you have to make that hard decision to euthanize them. So we talked about how solid point bullets are the right ones to use. And we talked about how birdshot was good for shotguns and slugs are good for shotguns. But um, are there any type of bullets we should not use and should avoid buying? Yeah, the hollow point are not recommended. I mean, if we go back to the work of Dr. Jan Shear at Iowa State, they have recommended that we avoid the hollow points. They also recommend that we avoid the full metal jackets. And the reason for the last recommendation is that there's a, because of the, the characteristics of the bullet and because it's so solid, uh, there's a likelihood for overpenetration. So again, the safety for others in the area absolutely to avoid the full metal and the hollow point. Um, now, one thing that I've read is um, ideally uh, when you euthanize an animal is that you try and aim the firearm so that if there is overpenetration, it you try and aim down the spine. So that way, overpenetration goes into the body of the animal being euthanized. Yeah, and and that's a that's a very good point too, because um, oftentimes we have, if an animal is standing, we can aim for the spine, 
But another restraint method, and we also have a video on how to restrain a cow using the halter with the long rope um, that, was, that was put together by our colleagues. So those animals are lying down and um, still the same. We, we might be able to come along the spine, but if we're able to fire so that it's retained within the body, that's a great advantage, a great human safety advantage. So in the article, we, we show you both ways. One, if the, if the cow is standing, and then second, if the cow is restrained. Let's talk about misfires. So what were to happen or what would be the best protocol if uh, say my, my firearm jams and, and, and nothing happens when I pull the trigger? If, if we were at a plant or if we were in a hog barn, we would expect that they that you had at least two pieces of equipment for euthanasia, and um, so the if for some reason the first firearm misfires, then you would put the firearm down, and then you would get the second uh, piece of equipment, and then after that you would empty out the chamber and and uh, remove the the bullet. So again, we're working in a timely manner. You. It's uh, going to suggest that you have the animal restrained. Um, you want to reduce the stress of the animal. So having two pieces of equipment, firearm equipment, and, and the bullets available is, is your, your best option. You always want to make sure that you're cognizant of how you're holding that firearm and that you're always putting it away from people or at the ground and not looking yeah. down the barrel. Is that, that's right. It, it, it can look down the barrel, but not into the barrel. Um, and I, oh, and I think that most, I think a lot of people know that, uh, but you'd be surprised with a captive bolt, people don't know that. And they will look into the you know, there's a misfire and then they, they look at the end where the captive bolt is going to shoot out and they're, they're looking uh, to see why there's a misfire. So um, there's ways to mitigate that and, and certainly gun safety is, is so important. Again, becoming a student of, of your equipment, cleaning your equipment. Um, if your gun is kept in a case, then there's probably uh, almost nominal maintenance to the gun where but if it's being left in the barn and it's collecting dust and it's collecting insects and spiders and you're you're actually um, damaging the inside of the of the the particularly the rifle the the barrel of the shotgun or the rifle that goes for the uh, firearm that's sliding around in the back of your truck uh, <laughs> that you use for gophers as well. Um, so yeah. making sure that uh, firearm maintenance is performed regularly so that way when you do use these firearms for euthanasia, you want to make sure they're in good working order. Can we talk a little bit, we've um, alluded to it uh, a little bit, but can we talk about restraint of the animal as well as um, the number of people needed to, to properly perform a euthanasia, not only just with restraint, but um, for emotional support as well? So from a restraint perspective, if we're able to, if, if the cow is down or we're able to restrain her down and it's, it's really using a halter, and then the, the rope from the halter is, is looped in with the legs and it cinches the head close to the body. And one person can be holding the rope. And we, we show this in the video as well. 
But when that person is holding the rope, you want to ensure that that person is not anywhere in the line of fire. In fact, the rope should be long enough so that the person restraining the, the cow is behind the shooter. So the shooters, the shooter is there, the shooter is closest to the animal, and then the restrainer is holding or securing, restraining the animal, but holding on to it and standing behind the, the shooter. Um, and, and that's really, really important because if, if I think about experiences in swine production, uh, there's different types of snares. So we, we use snares to restrain the pig. It's, it's a loop that goes over the nose and, and the pigs back up and it works very successfully. However, some of the, the handles on the snares are only a foot and some of the handles are three to four feet. This the three to four foot handle that you want because then the shooter can step in between the, the handler and the animal. But even then, once the animal's been shot, there is an area that, you know, you have an experienced handler, they are at the head and they're pulling the head around, but you wanna be able to avoid, you wanna ensure that no one is near the feet. So everyone, whether it's the shooter or the handler, you want to be away from the feet because one of the one of the oftentimes uh, response post shot is a tonic clonic action, and that in a large animal could take you out, and then you could have another injury. The gun could be misfired. Someone could be shot accidentally. You could be hurt, very hurt by the legs thrashing. So there is a zone that, that you can work in, that's a working zone and the handlers in a, in, in a zone as well. But the red area, especially around the feet, you want to avoid that. I think those tonic clonic uh, actions, that's kind of where the phrase uh, running around like a chicken with the head, their head cut off kind of comes <laughs> from, right? That's really the result of the tonic clonic action. So uh, it's important, I guess, to note that chickens are the only ones impacted, um, that <laughs> cattle are as well. Uh, and to, that's why we, uh, it's so important to make sure that you're out of the range of the the feet of the cow um, after the after the successful euthanasia. Tonic clonic action. I, I'll, I'll just because it can be quite a violent, can look very violent, but the but the animal is rendered insensible. This is an autonomic response. So the the animal is rendered insensible, but this response and sometimes the animals do respond in that way, and sometimes they don't. But when you're euthanizing the animal, you want to be in a position that you are away from the feet at the time of the shot. If you could build a, a stall for euthanasia, what type of materials would you use uh, for safety? Well, you want to avoid cement as much as possible, um, because if there is if there is fragmentation of the bullet, then it will it is likely to bounce off cement. Um, you also don't want to put a lot of faith in soft materials either. This particularly sand, um, oftentimes the fragments will move into sand, but if there's moisture in the sand from fecal matter or urine, um, that can pack the sand enough that the fragment can then take a different angle and there can be a ricochet from that as well.
one of the uh, recommendations that was provided to us by the by the local slaughter, the mobile slaughter, is that they use a piece of plywood behind the animal, uh, and oftentimes with the animal, because then the the portion or the fragment of the bullet will lodge into the the plywood, and the plywood is uh, I think the recommendation was half an inch to three quarters of an inch plywood. But that would be enough to stop the any fragments. Yeah, so they are not bouncing around. Uh, again, talking about that human safety as well as any um, any other animals that may be in the area. And you also want ease of conveyance. So oftentimes, what producers can do is they can they can actually conduct the euthanasia where they know that once the animal is has been identified as dead and they've, they've checked that the animal is dead, then they could load it onto some form of conveyance, where whether it's a tractor or, or a sled, um, and take it away easily. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that provides opportunities that the bunkers are not cement flooring and you have two sides, that maybe that's a, a good place to do it and then farmers can access it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point as well. So after you fire your shot and say you don't see any tonic clonic action, um, what should what should you do next after your shot is fired? Well, first, you want to be sure that the animal is rendered insensible and dead. And we can confirm death or we can confirm that the animal is rendered insensible, meaning that there's no brain activity. If there's no brain activity, if there's disruption of the brain tissue, then receptors of pain are not getting to the brain. So the animal is rendered insensible. The animal does not feel pain. Um, and what we can do is we can check the corneal reflex. So tapping the inside of the eye to see if the animal blinks. If it doesn't blink, then it's rendered, in my opinion, it's rendered insensible. Another thing that, that I like to do is I like to watch for breathing patterns. So um, respiration, if the animal is not breathing, then the animal is dead. We can also look at responses to light, pupillary responses to light. And, you know, when you're working in that area and you're, you're close, that may not be you know, very convenient. But another another really good indicator is that the animal's not trying to get up, that the animal is down, it's laying down, it's it's not trying to right itself. This animal is completely insensible. And then within a couple of minutes, we want to check for whether or not there's a heart rate. Uh, cattle, it's very easy to just place your palm there to see if there's a heart rate. Again, autonomic response. The heart might beat for another, might beat up to 10 minutes. So um, again, look for respiration rate. If the tongue is flaccid, that's another really good indication that the animal has died. And then, as I mentioned, no heartbeat. Yeah, heartbeat after, with 10 minutes, that's way longer than I expected. You know, maybe a minute, but 10, wow, like that's that's a long autonomic response. So yeah. um, that's surprising. So it's it's good to have all of those other cues for insensibility. And we did allude to this a tiny bit before, but for those people on farms um, who are responsible um, for euthanasia, 
um, whether they're on farms or just people who um, perform euthanasia, perhaps in their job or um, whatnot, are there any resources available for them for the emotional toll that this could potentially take? I don't know if the bovine industry has has that. As many of you know, we we had disruption, market disruption for the swine industry. And so there were a number of animals that were humanely euthanized, but it took a, a toll on the um, on the workers. So there are there is information in the American Association of Swine Veterinarians for farm stress and euthanasia. They also, the ABMA has information. But I would say that probably the best opportunity for you is to train yourself on humane euthanasia have your supplies ready. And then at the time of after the euthanasia, then sit down and talk about it. And it may be with one of your family members or maybe with one of your coworkers. And if you're bothered by it, then tell your manager or tell someone else. As, as we've talked about before, euthanasia can be very uncomfortable. Um, for some people, and yet I've been in barns where some of the workers are insistent that they want to do the euthanasia because they've been students of it, because they they know what to expect, and they believe that they will provide the best welfare for the animal because they have great respect in the work that they do. So they take pride in being the person one one of the persons responsible for this role. I just wanted to um, just kind of follow up a little bit on that. Uh, MSU Extension does have a farm stress resource page um, on our website. Um, there are also some different online and teletherapies that are available if you need to talk to someone on that level. Um, Psychology Today has a, a whole list of them that are of those that are available. So I would like to thank uh, Dr. Madonna Benjamin for, for being our guest today on the MSU Extension Virtual Coffee Break Podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Marianne, for the invitation. I appreciate it. You can find all the links on the information below. If you're interested in developing trainings for your farm, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach Marianne Morosky at m. B U Z A at msu.edu, and you can reach me at C A R R A S Q 1 at msu.edu. The season keeps rolling on, and next week we will feature Extension educators Phil Durst and Ashley Decker talking with Stacy Chody Hughes. They focus their conversation around dairy promotion and why should farmers be involved. They also share valuable ideas and resources for those interested in increasing their dairy promotion involvement. It will be a good one, and I hope you'll join us then.